Rabbi Sir Salanta was focused on ethical issues just as much as others. You don't hear this anymore. We have to change the language of discussion. We have to give, give it a, a focus and we have to be willing to say when people say racist things or when people, uh, when we give someone shlishi who just got out of jail and make a party, you know, sued the Sajoya because he was just taken out of jail for all the money he stole and stop it. Or someone saying it's wrong, it's evil, it's not Judaism. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. Orthodox Judaism is demanding. We often need to balance competing values, not the least the fact that our religious inclinations sometimes lead us into questionable moral territory. Let me give a simple example from the news. In the recent Israeli elections, the party, which is called the Religious Zionist Party, headed by Batala Smotrich, received six seats. That's 5% of the vote. This party refuses to countenance any relinquishing of territory, presumably under any circumstances. And that's an understandable position, one with which other Torah Jews may strongly disagree, but a theoretically comprehensible stance. The Religious Zionist Party also includes two other factions, the Otsma Yehudit faction and the Noam faction. Both Otsma Yehudit and Noam are now in the Knesset. Otsma Yehudit is headed by Itamar Ben-Gvir, who's an open disciple of the thought of Mer Kahana, and who for many years had a picture of Baruch Goldstein on his wall. Goldstein was the doctor who, in 1994, killed 29 Muslims praying at Marat HaMachpelah in Hebron. If you voted for Smotrich's party, you also voted for Ben-Gvir, who celebrates a man who killed 29 Muslims. The Religious Zionist Party also includes the Noam faction, which called for the repeal of Knesset Resolution 2331, which itself requires state institutions in Israel to adhere to UN Resolution 1325. That resolution, among other things, requires increased participation of women in decision-making at the highest levels. Basically what this means is that Noam is calling for the downgrading of women in public life. People who voted for the Religious Zionist Party are also voting for the downgrading of women. The fact that, it seems... A lot of people who voted for Smotrich didn't mind the fact that Ben Gvir and Noam were part of his party is a real problem. And this is just one of many examples. It happens in Israel and the diaspora. It's especially apparent in Orthodox magazines and newspapers. I think that in our political lives and even beyond it, many of us in the Orthodox world are losing our moral compass. To address this sad issue, I was honored to speak to Rabbi Yosef Blau. Before we get to that interview, let me quickly remind you to please subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. We have a Facebook group called The Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where we forthrightly discuss issues in the Orthodox Jewish community. Please join and participate in the conversation. We want to hear your voice. If you would like to support this podcast, there are a couple different ways of doing so. First of all, go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. Just give a certain number of stars, I hope five, and write one or two sentences. That really helps, so thank you in advance. And second of all, 
please become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. In the weeks leading up to Pesach, for example, we released a large number of bonus episodes dealing with the Haggadah. We're putting up new content all the time. So press pause right now, click on the link and sign up, then come back to the interview. You'll be glad that you did. Rabbi Yosef Blau was appointed Mashkiach Ruchani at Yeshiva University in 1977, and currently serves as the senior Mashkiach Ruchani there. He has been involved in many educational and communal endeavors, including serving as the national president of Yavna, as president of the Religious Zionists of America, and as vice president of the National Conference of Yeshiva Principals. But I feel that more important than his important formal credentials is his standing as a voice of morality and ethics, as a Talmud Chacham, who demands that Orthodox institutions and individuals live up to the high standards that the Torah has set for us. It was a real honor to speak to Rabbi Blau about some of the issues plaguing Orthodoxy today. Rabbi Yosef Blau, thank you very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum podcast. It's my pleasure to participate in this program, uh, though I haven't heard it before, I must admit, but maybe now I'll learn to uh, listen to it regularly. <laughs> that would be great. Good. Okay. Always enjoy increasing the audience size. What we're going to talk about today in part, and what part of my concern is, is the feeling that there are many people within our Orthodox worlds who are losing part of their moral compass. And let me explain what I mean. Perhaps a good way to start is an article, which was an opinion piece, I should say, that was released by Arut Sheva regarding the Biden administration virtual Pesach Seder. That Seder took place a couple of days before Pesach on a Thursday. And the Seder was, as far as I'm concerned, I saw it. It was unoffensive and nothing particularly spiritual. It was fine. It was the kind of political event that administrations often do since the Obama administration. There have been Seders. This one was virtual, so it was somewhat different. The article in Arut Sheva, written by Daniel Greenfield, trashed the Seder and everyone and everything associated with it treating what was, frankly, an unoffensive, boring Pesach Seder. There's nothing to like or dislike about it as far as I'm concerned. It was pretty parv. To treat it with this vitriol as if it's the destruction of all that's good and holy, it's just difficult for me to understand where that kind of, and I'll use the word hatred, really comes from. It seems quite literally detached from reality. What's the source? It's a very good question. Let me just focus a little bit on the article. After all, it was not written by someone from Arad Sheva. I don't know this Greenfield. He works for David Horowitz's organization, which is a well-known far-right kind of thing that's not taken seriously by itself. What is serious is that Arad Sheva put it out, right? They did right. put it out. And I want to just note a few minor things. One, of course, was that an attack on uh, on Biden claiming that he is a senile because he just he didn't participate. He just sent in a message, which is obviously absurd. And since I'm older than Biden, I get upset at anybody saying that people of a certain age are automatically senile. And obviously he's, he's been a very active president. It's, it's absurd. And one other point, because the rest is really not particularly relevant. The author of the uh, piece was very upset about the focus on justice and freedom as a misunderstanding of Pesach and the Seder. And while it's true that to leave out the full religious impact and to leave out the Torah is obviously a distortion, 
to leave out freedom and justice is equally a distortion. You know, in, when the Mishnah says, the Gemara has two opinions. One is, we talk about physically, we were slaves, we became free. And the other one is religious. We came from idol worshippers and we learned to worship one God. Um, we incorporate both in the Seder. So he's equally wrong by saying that it's not part of the Seder. <laughs> so he didn't even get his Judaism right. right. Uh, okay, but let's move on from the article. Right. The issue really isn't the article per se. It's more the issues that the article has made clear, the problem that exists right. that lead to articles like well, this. Let's focus initially on this love affair that uh, a certain component of the Orthodox community has with uh, Donald Trump. It goes way beyond the people who are very happy about the positions that the Trump administration took about Israel. If that would be the only thing, then we would understand it very well, whether that balances his moral failings. It's a discussion, but it's much deeper than that. In the library at YU, which is very quiet these days, obviously, but I do mm-hmm. go up there, and they have sitting on the desk in the floor, which has the, uh, the Goddessman Library, the Jewish Studies Library, they mm-hmm. have weekly editions of three Orthodox Jewish papers in America. They have the Jewish Press, the Ated Neman, and the Modia, both the American editions, the English ones. Sometimes I will open them up, you know, just out of curiosity. And they are differing a little bit in nuance, but fundamentally brought in to the Trump world, mm-hmm. including that the election was stolen from them, that the the, the event, the insurrection in, in, in January 6th wasn't so bad. Uh, it's it just astonishing how much... Really? Is. All three are on the same page when it comes even to saying the election was stolen. Forget being in Donald Trump's corner and saying we wish you were elected, but actually accepting now, the lies about I the election fraud. I said nuance, the Hamodia is a little bit less than the Ataid and the Jewish press. So I, I did acknowledge a nuance of difference, but not a fundamental difference. Um, uh-huh. They just came out that the editor of the Jewish press was actually there in January 6th. I was going to ask you about that as well, because he has been reporting on it and not telling people that he was actually inside the Capitol. Look, I know him very well. He lives one flight up. If you go beyond these publications, so a meme magazine had an interview with Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is, is extreme and a conspiracy uh uh, person who uh, she's the one from the Jewish laser beams. Yes. Like that caused the fires. And her explanation is when she said the Rothschilds that she didn't never heard that the Rothschilds were Jewish. A good, okay. believable explanation, sure. Yes. Well, maybe it shows the level of ignorance that this woman has. You know, right? <laughs> I, I saw in a Mishpacha someone wrote an appreciation for Rush Limbaugh. And another one of the publications, there's one for Roger Stone. So we're not only talking about Trump, we're talking about the most extreme elements, the elements that have been rejected by the majority of people as fringe, wacky, conspiracy. It's not talking about serious people, talking about a uh, uh, with a political agenda, because they believe in a certain kind of government. It's just wacky. 
and yet it's somehow accepted by serious numbers in the Orthodox community. Now, we should differentiate, obviously, the Orthodox community we know is a very complex one. For right? sure. And even the simplistic separation between the modern Orthodox and the Haredi doesn't fully capture it. It's reductionist, for sure. Reductionist. And even, you know, you can see the difference. For example, I, I'm not going to mention name of someone that I, I've worked with over the years who bought into Trump completely, but he has a pragmatic side to him. So it so happens that I did an interview uh, with uh, Daniel Shapiro. He's the former American ambassador to Israel during five years of the of the Obama administration. Right. Stayed in Israel, who's a very traditional and say what a traditional Jew and extremely knowledgeable in these areas. And I did this interview and I mentioned it to this fellow. He doesn't work for I hope it's someone that I with. And he had been a big supporter of Trump. He wrote editorials that people should vote for Trump in 2020. And um, his response was, oh, I know him. He's a good guy. And we're working with the new government. We're happy with the new government. So there is a there is a uh, even amongst those who supported Trump, there's, there's a, certainly a pragmatic element who are not, you know, bought in. You know, in for the, sure. In the- I've said myself for a long time that if somebody believes that Trump is the better or believed that Trump was the better candidate and says, look, I'm not trying to vote for a Ruhani. I'm not voting for a moral arbiter. I'm voting for a person who is going to have good policies. I personally disagree with that. But OK, I don't think that that's a moral failing of any sort. Vote for the candidate you think is best, even if I disagree. The problem is when people buy in hook, line and sinker to wacky thinking, as you put it, that's when we start getting into a new level of discourse, which is hard to understand. And a justification for a person that they know is immoral and unethical. Coming with this cynical attitude that all politicians are corrupt. So he's openly corrupt. What's the big deal? Right. Right. Uh, all politicians are, are, are unethical. So he's unethical in his business dealings. So they're all immoral. So he has 26 women saying that he, you know, that he mistreated them. Right. Right. Join the club right. attitude. Okay, he's no different from everybody else. At least with him, he's open about it. Right. By the way, I just saw something uh, today from, uh, I, I can talk more about America than Israel. When I can, I live three months a year and Israel when they'll let me back in the country. Near Sashem should be very soon. They, where, where, uh, I just saw a headline that uh, Smotrich of the Religious Zionist Party said, we're only going to support we could... If it's Netanyahu, we won't sort the code without Netanyahu. Of all things, you would think the opposite. We would say we could have values that we're comfortable with. Netanyahu has moral issues. He's on trial and whatnot. We we're supporting the government, but we'll certainly support the government with Likud without Netanyahu. Like some of the parties who are saying, we'll only support Likud if Netanyahu is no longer the leader. It's the same disease. There's something going on here. Personality cults, which seem to be developing on both sides of the ocean, both in Israel yeah. and in the United States, where this following a leader blindly, or I, I don't know, if I, I almost hope it's blindly, because if it's with open eyes, then it's even more scary to ignore obvious moral problems and to pretend even worse that they're actually not a moral failing, they're actually okay in defending them. What do you attribute that to? How could Orthodox people who are supposed to be in an ideal world, 
learning Torah and therefore exercising their minds regularly, having their eyes opened, who care about morality, who care about ethics, are willing to simply drop all of this for nationalism, for whatever other reasons they have, even if it's for policies they support. But we know Judaism does not say the ends justify the means. That is certainly not a Jewish idea. What is going on? Okay, that's an excellent question. And, and I'm going to try to answer about a view that I dislike, that I've written against, and still trying to explain. Because if you don't understand something, you can't even deal with it. So I think there are a few factors. One is, in terms of Trump, it's less true it's in Netanyahu, it's still a remnant of the Holocaust. What do you mean? The Gaim will hate us. They're all the same. It doesn't make a difference. Look, you know, the, you talk about the Seder. Obama made a Seder. Obama actually knew what was going on in the Seder. He participated, right? He didn't have somebody else. He right. participated in the Seder, right? And he had many Jewish friends, uh, but his policies were policies that were upsetting in terms of, his, uh, of Israel to many, many people. So there's been no financial or sex scandal associated with him at all. But it doesn't matter. One non-Jew, it's another non-Jew. They're all really against us. So, and they're all immoral and terrible people anyway. Remember that the, there are significant parts of the Orthodox community that has rem have removed themselves from the broader world. There's much less social interaction. With every mile comes a chesar. With every chesar, there's a mile. I've been part of the world of, of Jewish education in the United States since I, since even before I got smicha, right? In terms of youth movements and organizations. And I've been teaching in yeshivas all these years and proving to people that you can have a yeshiva education and still be able to function in the secular world. You can be a lawyer, a doctor, a businessman, anything you want to be. And it's all true, right? And right. it's a wonderful success. But it has come with the price of our people not interacting that much with others. I mean, and despite the, the success of Torah and Mada, they're still dealing mainly with Orthodox Jews, you mean? Even if they're acting as yeah. a lawyer, as a doctor? And even when they're lawyers... They've separated, you know, this is a mm -hmm. business. For, for example, one change. In all the years in yeshiva when Dr. Belkin was alive, he would never have dreamt of making a business college. Torah Madam and education, ideas, right? right? Culture, science. Not practical <laughs> implementation and business in that way. It wasn't, it wasn't Torah Parnassa, it was right. Torah Umada. Economics, not business. Right. And today's world, half the students are in the business school. Mm -hmm. And the mentality is a very different mentality. In other words, my interacting with the, with the outside world, if it's a pure transactional business interaction, is very different than my interaction if I'm dealing with ideas. And, and the lawyer can be a business transactional thing as well. And that, I think, is part of the shift with the some degree of movement to the right. In the Haredi world, the difference is incredible. Our oldest son went th through high school and two years in Beit Medrash in the Philadelphia Yeshiva, which is 
you know, star quality of the Lakewood branches. He had a serious high school secular education, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. When he was a freshman, the, 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 the Rebbe had the, the report cards and he would berate any of the students who didn't take their secular studies seriously. I'm guessing that that has changed. That has changed. That world has changed. I can't speak of what's going on in Philadelphia per se, but in Lakewood, none of the yeshiva high schools for boys have any secular studies at all. Kiyuzeh, at all. Kiyuzeh. You have to go outside of Lakewood or to teach them privately. Right? It's really removed itself from the world. And when you're removed from the world, you see the world differently. So that's really much a part of it. And there's a lack of identification with the welfare of society. It's more what we can get out of the society because it's, it's, it's a hostile society. Sometimes I think that in good parts of the Haredi world, even in Israel, and certainly in America, they deal with the government as if the same way they dealt with the government in Poland. I understand that. I've thought about that as well. It's the Goyim outside the shtetl walls, and they're all the same. And if we find a good one, latch on to him. Yeah, right. And good one means he's nice to us. He's nice, right. He's not going to hurt us. Right. So therefore, one can dismiss moral failures as that's the way they are. What do you, what do you expect from them? Right? Rabbi Blau, though, at the same time, I hear what you're saying, and it makes a lot of sense. And I've actually thought about a similar idea in the past, particularly with the way some of the Haredi communities interact with secular communities in Israel. I think it has the same mentality at times. At the same time, some of the idolatry towards Trump seems to transcend simply all the Goyim are bad and he's bad too, but at least he's our bad guy. They really, when I say they, obviously they is a very large term, but there are many people who really love this guy. It's not just a matter of, I think that he's the best among all the bad ones. It's defending moral failures that should not be defended as opposed to simply ignoring them. That's another level which really is additionally bothersome. Okay, so I'm going to give two points relative to this. One is the uh, imagery of either Ahasuerus or Koresh. Let's mm-hmm. take Ahasuerus is even better because we don't have much of a tradition about Koresh's private life. We don't know how he treated his wives. <laughs> we know wife? plenty about Ahasuerus, though. We know plenty about Ahasuerus, right? Ahasuerus, the Melech Tipesh, but he sa- he's part of the saving of the Jews. That comes from this kind of messianic notion and this, by the way, is, again, on one hand, a reflection of the Holocaust, Ikvisi the Meshicha, and the Messianism in Israel in religious circles. Therefore, the Gaisha king, who's part of this process, doesn't have to be a tzaddik at all. We have a model. He can be a, he, he, he can be a drunkard a person who made parties out of the Kalim of the Beis HaMikdash, but he's still part of the Geula. So yeah, but Chazal still said about Achashverosh that he was worse than Haman. In other words, we kept our eyes open. With Trump, people aren't saying he's, at least the people we're talking about, aren't saying he's worse than Haman, but but he's good for us, so he's part of the process. They treat him like he's a tzaddik. It's a little bit different. Yeah, okay. That's a very good question, but you could really ask it about the 45% of the American population that treats him that way. Right, also <laughs> well, true. Maybe not 45%, but 30 certainly over a third of the population whose loyalty is to him, not the Republican Party. It is really quite mysterious. 
part of it has to be that he has built support on what he's against more than what he's for. Let's look at the evangelics. And I think in this sense, there's a real correlation between parts of the Orthodox community and the evangelics. I agree. Are the evangelics support someone who is the least Christian Christian president I think the United States has ever had. He doesn't get the books in, in their testament correct. <laughs> right. He never goes to a church. And he, and, and, and he openly speaks against all the principles that they say Christianity is based on. Of course, but, yeah. But he says, I'm making a deal with you. You want judges on the Supreme Court who are against abortion. It is true that before I ran to president, I supported abortion. But you give me your votes, I'm against abortion. So on one hand, it's again transactional. And he was a transactional president. Absolutely. All the deals in the Middle East, you know, yes, you make a deal with Dubai and Israel, but we'll say your plane's on the side. But it, it's embarrassing as a religious organization to say it's only transactional. So you have to find some way of, of saying it's something deeper here because he's opposing all that were against, all that secular culture has gone too far. Remember, there's, this is secular society has taken on values that it didn't have 25 years ago. Right? It's, moved, it's moved in the other direction. For sure. So you would say, okay, it's obviously road in between. You don't have to go to the other extreme to fight an extreme. But it becomes a little bit more understandable that some people, you know, say, I have to choose, right? I just started writing an article, which I either will finish or won't finish and publish or not publish. You never know. I'm so upset that the party that took on the name Religious Zionist Party, which includes the Kahanites, includes Noam, which thinks that women should go back to the kitchen in the name of Rav Cook, of all things. Right? right, of course, yeah. It's so extreme and it took on, it's taken on the name. What happened, you know, people should be just upset about religiousism has a history. I mean, this isn't this, this, this not, didn't come out of nowhere. The name has endless associations or should have endless associations. And these are none of them. There's been a, a shift going on in a lot of different ways that are, that is is just very very disturbing I, I can put it's very disturbing the fact that the religious zionist party which it should be noted is not the original mafdal it's everything has changed around the original mafdal basically doesn't exist anymore mafdal being the religious zionist party of yesteryear which once was associated with the wing of Ravrinus and was not even a right-wing party at all if you read about what happened during the six-day war they were on the left they were telling the labor government at the time don't attack jordan stay out of it to the degree they could after 1973, it became much more involved with Gush Munim, moved in different directions until now. Effectively, the Religious Zionist Party, as it's called now, has a Kahanist faction within it, run by Itamar Ben-Gvir. It also has the Noam Party merged in together with it. The Noam Party is associated with the Har Hamor Yeshiva, and its platform, or whatever you want to call it, is effectively that women should go back to the kitchen. Its platform is that gays are bad. I'm not even sure exactly how to define that, how that's relevant to democratic ideals, how it's relevant to managing a government. One way or the other, that is what the Religious Zionist Party has become today, a combination of classic right-wing 
religious Zionism, along with Kahanis and this Noam faction. And one of the worst aspects of it altogether is the fact that Bibi Netanyahu himself is the person who engineered this merger. It was his decision that these parties should join together. He pressured Bitsalo Smotrich of the religious Zionist party to include Noam and Otsma Yehudit of Ben-Gavir so that those votes wouldn't be lost. So this is all basically a cynical ploy by the prime minister. So some of the same problems we see in the United States, unfortunately, taking place in Israel, and so many people who support either Netanyahu or who support Smotrich or who support some of the other parties, that simply is not a big issue for them. And it's terribly upsetting for me. I say that as a religious Zionist. Look, I was president of religious Zionist America for 12 years. I was a Bnei Kivinik and very active. And we have an apartment. The only reason I, I, I'm not citizens, I feel funny because we, I'm still working in America and I don't feel comfortable until I spend more time in Israel per, per month a year than, than, than in America. Uh, to me, it's shocking. To me, it's shocking. And it's a related issue. It's a related issue of how important nationalism has become. When you think about the fact that the Rev. Cook's Heter Mechira, this is going to get technical, but I think it's a very important point. Okay. I'll tell our listeners, the Heter Mechira is the license to sell land to non-Jews during the Shemitah year so that Jewish farmers can still grow food and not have to make it uh, onerless effectively. Right. In order for that Heter Mechira to work, you had to be allowed to sell the land to a non-Jew, right? Which is a halachic problem. Rav Cook's solution was, well, you can sell them to Muslims who are, who are monotheistic. And he, according to Rav Cook's analysis, have the status of a Ger Toshev. And they have a right to have property in, in, in Israel. Right? Rav Cook. Rav Cook. Right? Based on that the, uh, that the Arab Muslims have rights to have land. And that's how he enables us to function on the Shemitah year. Mm-hmm. Whoa, we've gone to the opposite extreme. Right. right. You can only stay in the land if you acknowledge you have no rights here. That is the belief system, right. Since I can't justify it, I can't fully understand it. I think, again, the notion that we're approaching a messianic era and we have to focus on Jewish national things uh, has come to the expense of almost everything else. Right. If this is going to bring, you know, if this is going to bring Mashiach, so that'll solve everything. In fact, uh, in that regards, you know, when the state was started, you have all this wondrous writings of Rav Herzog, who was the chief rabbi at the time, on how to run a religious state, a modern religious state. And he deals with all these issues, including the minorities, including the women's issues, all these different issues. And somehow, on the technological level, things have been done. You know, we have so met. We have, we have all kinds of technological solutions to Shabbat problems. Modern but miracles, come, all of them. Right, but when it comes to this whole approach, what you have now is we're not even trying if we're going to have to run a modern state. We're working towards Mashiach. Mashiach comes. Mashiach is going to answer all the questions. I'm not sure that's true in terms of what the proper role of Mashiach is, certainly not according to the Rambam. But, uh, but be that as it's made, the mentality has, has shifted. And there's, by the way, there's a back and forth between America and Israel and all of this. What do you mean the, by that? The modern Orthodox community, certainly, and to some great degree, some 
serious degree the Haredi community, all young people study Torah in, in Israel. They spend a year, two years in Israel. Obviously not 100%, but very large percentages. Right. And the community that they identify with in Israel is the religious Zionist community if they're modern Orthodox. Even though modern Orthodox and religious Zionism are not equivalent terms. And that's a whole discussion. That's a different podcast episode. Different podcast. But if they're like most people, if they're like me, well, my son lives in Alon Shvut. My grandsons are in the Israeli army. Um, identify nationally. Now, I, I know perfectly well that that's not a, the best example. They're probably more open than most others, but that's the connection, right? Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's very interesting. They took, a, they took a poll of Yeshiva College students before the election. Probably about two-thirds were pro-Trump. And the major issue to them was Israel. And these were boys who just came back from Israel, right? So Israel's on And there. in a certain way, that's a good thing. The fact that I don't agree with their vote, I'm glad that they care about Israel so much that Israel is at the top of their priority list. That's a good thing. Right. So I don't really know what percentage of the students support the notion of Trump after the election. We, we don't have such a study. So I don't want to just... And because of COVID, students aren't around to talk, <laughs> to talk with them. So I can't really know. But in some circles, they saw this heading in a direction and suddenly Trump loses. Biden has a different foreign policy. Without even discussing what's a good or bad foreign policy, it's not really relevant. Their dreams that this is all leading to a goal gets, it's gone. It's gone. Mm -hmm. So if you say, no, it's not gone. It was stolen. Uh, it, it's only temporary. Uh, it's going to come back. People want to believe that. It helps them. I know I'm, do, I'm not really doing a great job of justifying things because I can't justify any of them. I mean, I see here, admittedly, a lot of it is anecdotal, but it seems to me looking, whether it's on social media or just seeing people speak on the street, the people who actually believe things like QAnon, whether they admit it or not, but you see them echoing certain ideas from QAnon. I'm talking about religious Jews and the way the conspiracy thinking has infiltrated into so many people's minds. I don't have an historical sense if things once were like this and they changed, but certainly nothing like this happened in my lifetime that at least not as far as I could see, or, or at least it was submerged to such a degree that people were embarrassed by it. Now they seem to be doing it openly. And by conspiracy thinking, as you called them before, wacky theories, it's not just about Trump. It's also whether it's about COVID or about vaccines or anything. It's something which seems to have changed the way that so many Orthodox Jews think. And they're all associated with the same camp. Usually the same people who were in one area often fall into the same conspiracy thinking in another. It's a terrible thing. It has to do with a rejection. It's a rejection of certain aspects of the modern world. Mm -hmm. Now, why one should associate social change with science, it's not clear, but I can give a little bit of it. You know, for example, mm -hmm. the thinking in, in the world of psychology about the gay and lesbian community, where 30, 40 years ago, uh, a young man was homosexual and was seen as a disorder, a mental disorder. And it's now seen as a, a genetic makeup. 
and that creates all kinds of religious issues. If it's a genetic makeup, how, how can we judge people by it? But the Torah says it's, that homosexual behavior is prohibited. So it has to be. Right. So not every question lends itself to an easy answer. And uh, a sophisticated That's for sure. religious perspective understands that you don't have answers to every question. We don't know everything, but we don't live in a very sophisticated world. <laughs> so even science is on the other side. And, and, and the COVID is a very good il illustration. The scientists didn't get it all right at, initially, but that's normal for science. It's a new phenomenon. You try to understand it. You improve your knowledge over time. You learn more about it. But if you don't want to be sophisticated, you say, well, they got it wrong also. And the COVID, by the way, is particularly upsetting because it's the, uh, certainly in particular in terms of the Haredi community, they suffered the most. They lost lives. They lost a lot of lives. If I didn't know any better, and someone said to me, which community should be the easiest to sell the notion of wearing masks? I would say, oh, the Haredi community, they're used to dressing differently than everybody else. They're not embarrassed by, you know, going in the middle of the summer with a heavy jacket. Right. Know, and, That's a good point. But what's the big deal about putting on a mask on your face? And they go out of the way to be the opposite. It's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. So this is not, in this particular case, at least in the leadership, rabbinic leadership of the modern Orthodox community in America, is much better. That's sure. Whether all the people are better is another question, but certainly the leadership is much better. It's, it's, it's a shift in mentality. Let's go back to morality, though. Please, yes. Because it's broader than morality, but morality is fundamental to the, our concerns and should be. This goes back to a great degree to the fact that reform Judaism made it with the religion of the prophets, with mm -hmm. the religion of, of, of Yeshayahu, right? It's all uh, ethics and morality, very little ritual. Justice. And if an orthodoxy says no, a religion of mitzvahs, ritual, and the notion of trying to be not them goes to the other extreme. And it's come to points that, by the way, I find really, really absurd. And I'm going to give very concrete examples. There's a man by the name of Rubashkin. I don't know if all your people know the story of Rubashkin. Rubashkin owned a major schlachthaus, meat plant in Iowa. He was uh, arrested for uh, many things. And he had young workers and with tax evasion, all kinds of problems. Right. And the, they threw the book at him and they gave him a very long prison sentence. And he and was not innocent. People, that was not the claim. Right. And many people said, why did he get much such, such a long sentence? It was anti-Semitism. Other people have gotten much shorter sentences. Right. So they got to Trump. Trump couldn't have cared one way or the other. And he said, fine, I'm releasing him. So understandable. But in, there are circles where he has become a hero. Right. He's a martyr to the cause. No one says he was innocent. All they said was that, that the punishment was too large. And I'm seeing the same thing happen again. The, the, a number of Orthodox Jews were um, pardoned by Trump because it influenced the last moment. 
and, and many of them were guilty of very serious things. You could have argued again that the prison terms were too long, but they were serious failings. You have one fellow who was, who was convicted for stealing hundreds of millions of dollars from other Orthodox Jews, for taking Kolel fellows' marriage money. Terrible stuff. In that particular case, they claimed a letter from Rav Knievsky that he should be pardoned. It's just absolutely bizarre, the extreme that it's gone, that we don't care about moral failing. We well, don't you know, Rabbi Blau, if I can mention a very specific example, over Pesach, we talked before about Ami Magazine. Ami Magazine had Rabbi Pinto on its cover. Rabbi Pinto is currently the head kashu supervisor in Morocco, and they celebrated. It was a, a fawning interview where they talked about how wonderful he is, including the fact that he had been in jail in Israel after having pleaded guilty to bribery and several other things. And the interview only dealt with his prison sentence in the sense of how much he had grown in holiness there and how other great men like the Chida had been in prison before him and Rabbi Shuman Yochai had spent all that time in the cave, etc. The only acknowledgement of any wrongdoing was wrongdoing by others towards him. There wasn't a single iota of tshuva. And yet this person was the cover boy. I'm not going to say I'm baffled by this anymore because, sadly, I'm used to this. I expect this from magazines such as Ami. This is a person who was released from jail just a few years ago. And if they want to put him on the cover saying, I was wrong, I did some very bad things, and everyone should learn from my ordeal not to act like that, call it Kavod. That's fine. But that was not what happened. They put him on the cover to celebrate his righteousness, to celebrate his magic powers, I think, to celebrate how incredible he is. Once again, remember, this is a person who did some really, really bad things, and yet idolatry is all the rage. Idol worship of convicted criminals. I'm going to throw in a, a, a pet peeve of mine that to fit in this. There's a whole discussion about the role of, of loyalty as a, as a religious value and as a moral value. You have to read Moshe Capel's book, you know, balancing fairness with loyalty and etc. Tribal loyalty, which we are very much guilty of, and I use the word guilty of, it has its positive notions of caring from each other. It also has terrible, terrible aspects. In work that I've been involved in for decades, dealing with cover-ups within the Orthodox community of really terrible things, mm -hmm. tribal loyalty always come to the forefront. We're loyal to our people. This excessive notion of, of tribal loyalty, which again sees the rest of the world as other, plays a significant role in all of this. If the others, the outside world, put Rabbi Pinto in jail, he's one of us. We're loyal to him. They must be wrong. Even if he pleaded guilty. By the way, you can explain away guilty. Unfortunately, I've been involved in things with people who literally abuse children. And they've pleaded guilty. And then there will be justification is, well, they were going to throw the book at them. And by pleading guilty, they got a, 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 a reduced sentence. So they pleaded guilty even though they were innocent. Right. So even if they're pleading guilty and admitting guilt is no proof. Right. And that's exactly what someone said to me when I pointed this out. He said, oh, pleading guilty in Israel, the justice system is so corrupt. Obviously, he's innocent. The only reason he pleaded guilty is because otherwise he would have been in jail for who knows how long. And besides the fact, even if he pleaded guilty and even if he is guilty, 
It doesn't matter because businessmen always do that kind of thing, so it's totally fine. That's literally what somebody said to me in defending him. Well, it's the same mentality we spoke about before. But in Israel, it's extended from the non-Jews to the secular Jews. They're all crooks anyway. So if our people steal, it's, it's, they're just doing what they're, you know, getting a share, share of it. That, in that sense, it comes from a non-identification with the broader society. Right, the Rav's two levels, uh, Bris Sinai, the covenant of Sinai of Jewish identification of Jewish faith and caring for each other Jew, which this includes those who are totally non-observant and the, the higher level of, of, of the covenant of, of, of Sinai, of Torah, of destiny, that's lost. There's no lower level. We have nothing to do with these people. It doesn't explain how in Israel you can, they can be such supporters of Netanyahu, who is certainly a secular Jew. I mean, I've heard people claim that he's really religious, but, you know. That's yes. just not true. It's, it's not true. It's I mean, true. he has a daughter from an earlier marriage who's a religious woman. That doesn't make him religious. It doesn't go backwards that way. <laughs> and in contrast, Benny Gantz, from what I understand, actually puts on Tefillin every day, even though he doesn't advertise it. I'm not saying one should vote for Gantz as opposed to Netanyahu. That's not my point. It's clear that many traditional people, and I mean in terms of, of levels of observance, who are not identified 100%. But by the way, if Benny Gantz were a kippah, it wouldn't make a difference either. It's more complicated in Israel because there's so many people who are religious Zionists um, in the sense of where they come from and where they see themselves, but who function within context of other parties. If I can ask you a question about this, part of the problem then, moving back to the United States, I'll illustrate this by a conversation I had with a serious Tommy Chacham with whom I'm very close. And he said to me that in confidence, he said, I voted for Trump, although he said after the January 6th riots, he had nothing more to do with him. That's over. And all the election fraud claims were ridiculous. But he said he has no love for Trump. He thinks he is a maneuver. But the Democratic Party has moved so far over in terms of its values, both regarding Israel and also regarding some of their social positions, that he couldn't support the Democratic Party. And despite the fact that Trump is a person whose morality is more than suspect, at the same time, to support the other side, for him, was impossible. And now the big middle is this giant yawning gap between the two where I would have hoped to find the majority of the United States. I don't think it's true anymore. I think it's become so polarized that there's so many people on the what once would have been the far left and the far right. That's just left and right now, and there's nothing in the middle. And what's someone who, like this person with whom I'm close, what's he supposed to do? Because he can't really support either side. I understand that. One, he should say that Trump is morally offensive, but I have no choice, which is not being said. Mm -hmm. right? right. So the moral issue has just been dropped from the agenda, which has consequences, not just about Trump. It has, it's consequences in terms of our entire mentality towards moral issues. Number two, the argument is, I'm sorry to say, terribly exaggerated. You know, okay. In what sense? I'm not going to plug my, my uh, interview with, with Dan Shapiro, but they should listen to a, a person who is close to the se new Secretary of State, is a traditional Jew, has a different perspective, but it's certainly not an extremist in, in any, any sense of the word, if someone would just listen to what he said. Not all the issues, not all the Democrats are extreme left. You know, it's, it's, it's very much exaggerated. Yes. 
there's been a shift in terms of attitudes, let's say, to the LGBT community, which is more complicated. I don't like using the term because it includes a lot of different things as if they were one. But a lot of this has to do with the community that people have suffered. There is an element that we that the Jewish community has now identified with the uh, we, we, we become wasps in America somehow. There's no question that the, the black Americans have suffered, have been mistreated. I've heard people who are very conservative will laugh and say, when you drive on the highway at night and you see a police car and you see pulling someone out of a car, the person's black, and they say, what is he guilty of? He's guilty of driving while being black, right? Everybody knows that. It's a given. But the bulk of the Orthodox community only interacts with Blacks in a negative way. That's certainly right? true. They don't, it, deal, it, they don't deal with, with the highly educated, uh, the Black middle class, and they, and, and they just see it as, and we didn't own any slaves. We weren't even in America. What do you want from us? So I think that's an exaggerated position. I think your friend, with all due respect, has an exaggerated view. But... If you want to come out in the middle, so it's, there's more things than who you vote for every four years. It's what, what you teach your Talmudim. I don't know if he even discusses with Talmudim who he voted for. By the way, I don't. You know, people can guess where I stand politically, but I've made a point of, of never, you know, publicly coming out mm-hmm. and saying who I voted for even after the election, right? Okay. You can figure it out, but I won't say. It's probably a wise policy. I tell people, rabbis are allowed to have political points of view. If I can't prove that the Torah demands my political perspective, then my political perspective is no more valuable than yours. I remember going back a long time ago. It was an American election, and the American economy was not in good shape for whatever reason at the time. And someone asked me, uh, as support of Israel, which candidate should I support? So I told him, the truth of the matter is, if America is in bad economic shape, it's not good for Israel. So you should really support the candidate who's better for to improve Americans' economy, if you care about Israel. Right. So we said, okay, so which candidate's better for Americans' economy? I said, I'm not an economist. Why are you asking <laughs> me? Let's not talk about who you're voting for. Let's talk about values. What are our values? What do we stand for? What values are we upset that the Democrats have? What values are we upset that the Republicans have? What values are we teaching our students, our young people? There won't be an election for another four years, right? Don't talk about who you voted for. What is he telling the kids in his base medrash? That's what I want to know. And the answer is he's telling them nothing. But that vacuum is dangerous. It's very similar problem in Israel. It's a very similar problem in Israel. We'd like to think that the religious Zionist community is a bridge. It always defined itself, saw itself as a bridge. Sure. Not what do we get out of it? But well, those days of being a bridge are long gone, I'm afraid. That is no longer well, part of that Weltanschauung, part of that understanding, that self-understanding. It's simply not part of it anymore. It's what we get out of it. What we get out of it means who do you make a deal with? Right. Territorial maximalism without any other value really entering the equation. It has its consequences. 
There's so much to talk about, including perhaps we can talk about this in a different podcast. The You just touched upon the element of racism in the Orthodox community, which we don't have time to discuss right now, although I will mention to our listeners that in this newest edition of Tradition, Rabbi Rosenzweig from YU came out with an article, a 17-page article, which is terrific, really outstanding. Far be it for me to say his article is outstanding, but I enjoyed it very much about why racism is completely inadmissible from every perspective, both halakhically and hashkafically. And I've written about it also not as eloquently. The truth of the matter is, theoretically, people say that there unfortunately are many Orthodox Jews who are racist. Yeah, and that's something which needs to be addressed, and it frankly breaks my heart all the time. It's an awful thing to see, and that's a very, very big issue. But just to conclude today's discussion, Rabbi Blau, you mentioned teaching values in the classroom. But outside the walls of the classroom, those of us who are not in a classroom, who are not in the Beit Midrash, what can we do to solve some of these problems? And the problems come both in the sense of bridging the gap, the lack of unity that we experience having people, having from Jews on both sides of this very wide gap, this very large divide. But perhaps even more importantly and more distressingly, we feel that some of the people are actually doing things, as we talked about in the podcast today, which demonstrate a loss of a moral compass. As I said at the beginning, how do we try to bring them back towards what we consider to be Torah values? How do we bring them back into the fold? How do we take people who are religious Jews in theory and have them act religiously in practice? Well, unfortunately, we don't have Nevi'im. And I'm not talking about the element of prophecy of predicting what's going to be in the future. I'm talking about the element of a Muslim movement that doesn't focus solely on coming to base medicine on time and diving with a lot of kavana. And people should come to base medicine on time. We should dive with a lot of kavana. But that talks about ethical issues. Rabbi Salanta was focused on ethical issues just as much as others. You don't hear this anymore. We have to change the language of discussion. We have to give, give it a, a focus and we have to be willing to say when people say racist things or when people, uh, when we give someone shlishi who just got out of jail and make a party, you know, sued the Sajoya because he was just taken out of jail for all the money he stole and stop it. Or someone saying it's wrong, it's evil, it's not Judaism. There's a fundamental need to rethink a whole share. The Torah We're losing the Ibn Adam and we, we're keeping it only technically. You know, you you can uh, you, we can we take credit for uh, for Zaka and ignore Meshi Zahav. It's it's so wonderful the Satra women come to the hospitals in, in America. It really is wonderful, but that does, doesn't take away from how they're dealing with moral issues and everything else. It's not cover. I guess the best we can do is continue to listen to voices like yours and the other brave voices in our communities, who are calling this behavior out and saying it like it is, I think it requires courage. And Rabbi Blau, you certainly have exhibited that. It shouldn't require, if, you, if we're going to say it requires courage, then we're going to discourage too many people from doing it. Okay. Well said. Rabbi Blau, thank you very much for joining me today on the podcast. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Hopefully to see you in Yerushalayim soon. Thank you for joining me. Remember to go to jewishcoffeehouse.com for lots of great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, Chuchmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, Let My People Eat, and more. You can also find my blog, The Scott Conversation, there. 
Please also share this podcast so we can get the word out about the Orthodox Conundrum to an even bigger audience. And please consider becoming a Jewish Coffeehouse patron by going to our Patreon page. The link is in the description of this podcast. For a small monthly donation, you decide how much or how little. You can get extra episodes, articles, merch, and more while also supporting our work. So please check it out today. I'm Scott Kahn, and this has been the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. <laughs>